And hey, just by way of reminder, the context of where we are in Revelation, I think sometimes it's kind of hard. It is a difficult book. It's a hard book. Um, I don't believe that um, it's not able to be understood because God wouldn't have given it to us. And so it takes some digging. It takes some study. It takes some understanding of the Old Testament scriptures as well to help us to have understanding. I think one of the beautiful things that were given within the book itself to help us is in Revelation chapter 1, verse 19. You guys remember, Jesus gives us an outline for the entire book to help us keep our bearings as we work our way through the book of Revelation. And remember, from chapter 4 all the way to chapter 22 is future. And so, um, but we have found ourselves in this section. We looked at chapter 4, you guys remember, we see um, John was transported to heaven He saw heaven's throne room. He saw the throne, the worship, the amazing worship that's going to be going on in heaven. I think we just had a little taste of that this morning, myself. And so amazing, uh, except no jacked up voices, right, in heaven. Just just a joke. It sounds beautiful by the time it gets to the throne room. But we saw this amazing, beautiful picture of heaven, right? And we see the church in heaven also represented by the elders that are there. There's only one group of people that can sing the song uh, of the redeemed that we find in chapter 5. And then remember in chapter 5, Jesus went to the Father. The Son went to the Father and took from, what did he take from the Father? The scroll, the scroll with seven seals. Only one is worthy to take that scroll, that has the authority to take that scroll and to open, to loose its seals. And I believe personally that is the title deed to planet Earth that Jesus purchased with his precious blood, not only the planet, but our lives as well. And so now as we, be, we began chapter six last week, the seals began to be opened. Do you guys remember that? And there were like little, John saw like these little um, movie trailers with each seal that was open. It was like a little movie trailer. The first one was the introduction of the Antichrist. Remember the dude riding on the white horse, bow with no arrows. And all of a sudden now there's a time of peace on planet Earth. This man is able to bring peace, to unite people. We learn that it's a a deception that's going to happen, a global, worldwide deception that will be happening at that time. And then the second seal was opened. You guys remember the second seal? People, the peace was taken from planet Earth, and people began to kill one another. Bloodshed on a global scale, massive taking of life going on. And then we see what followed that was famine. Right? We saw soaring inflation and, and prices going way up. And then this chasm between the rich, the wealthy, and the poor that would grow wider and wider. And then we also saw death also come into the scene. Death in many different ways and many different tragedies and the taking of life and, fa- and pestilence and disease and all these things happening on planet Earth. And then... What happened next? We saw, John saw this scene in heaven of martyrs, of people that gave their life for Jesus Christ. And they wanted to know how long it would be till the Lord would avenge, um, that, that the Lord would take vengeance on those that took their life. And, and they were told to wait a little while longer. There would be more during the tribulation period that would, um, that would give their lives for the Lord, lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we saw 
cosmic disturbances, earth disturbances, and earthquake, and stars falling, and, and the sun becoming uh, black, and the moon also or becoming red, and, and, and blood red moon, and, and the sun going out, darkness on planet earth, all these cosmic disturbances, and the people were crying out what? Fall on us to the rocks. They're hiding in rocks and mountains. And, and, and rather than repent and cry out to the Lord, they're crying out to, to creation. Listen, nothing, creation can't save you. Money can't save you. Your efforts can't, your righteousness can't save you. Only Jesus Christ can save you. And then they ask that question. Remember the last question of the chapter? Who can stand? Who can stand? In light of all this, who can stand? In chapter 7, we find the answer to that question, who can stand? Two groups of people that are able to stand before the Lord. Why? Because they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so chapter 7 is kind of like an intermission, if you will, an interlude um, where we get more information on what's going on at this time in the tribulation. Because in chapter 8, it begins with Jesus opening the seventh seal with the seventh seal. That will introduce seven, seven what? Is that how you play it? Something like that? Seven what? Trumpets. At the seventh trumpet, it will introduce seven, seven bowls, and God will be pouring out his judgment um, again during this time. And, and please don't, I, I think we can't misunderstand this. This is so crucial to understand. God, the point of the book is not God destroying people, but rescuing people. We're told in 2 Peter that he's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. Ezekiel 33, God himself says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And I tell you what, just to confess before you guys this morning, my heart is often very far from that. Because a lot of times when I see somebody wicked get taken out and justice served, I'm like, awesome. And God doesn't delight in the death of, pray for me. How do we know, how do we know that's God's heart? Remember when Jesus was cruising to Jerusalem and he was with his disciples and he came to Samaria and no one wanted him to come into their village, right? No, keep Jesus out. We don't want him here. And, and some of us, we have family members like that, people we run into. Get Jesus out of here. We don't want him. And remember what James and John said? What, 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 was, what was the nickname that Jesus gave them? Sons of wispy white clouds and gentle breezes. Sons of what? Sons of thunder, thank you. Sons of thunder, and what did they say? Lord, you want us to call down fire and burn them? They're going to reject you. It's turn or burn, baby. Remember what, remember what Jesus said, though? It's like so important to understand his heart with all of this. That we would have, don't we want his heart? And, and, and Jesus said, the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives but to save them. And so Jesus wants to rescue people. And who does he want to use to rescue them? He wants to use you and I. And I've said this before, rescue people, rescue people. The Lord has given us everything we need to do that. He's given us the Holy Spirit and his word. And so um, we're going to learn about that this morning. And so um, let's check it out together. Verse 1. After these things, I saw four angels 
standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth. Why? That the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed, the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Gad, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Asher, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Levi, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. And so we're introduced to the first major group of, uh, of believers, of those that come to know Jesus during the tribulation period. We typically call them the tribulation, tribulation saints. We'll be introduced in a moment to the second group of tribulation saints. And so just uh, by way of reminder, the Holy Spirit is still at work on planet Earth. I think Second uh, Thessalonians um, alludes to the Holy Spirit doing his restraining work will be removed, but we still see the Holy Spirit working in the hearts and lives of men and women and girls and boys, if you will. In the midst of God's righteous wrath, he's seeking to save people. Isn't God good? And so John, what does he see first? Let me draw your attention to verse 1. After these things, after what things? The six seals being opened. Now, again, our intermission. And what does John see? He sees four angels standing at the four corners or the four compass points, north, south, east, west, or in other words, across the globe, he sees these four angels standing. And by the way, um, this is not speaking of a flat earth. <laughs> If you're a flat earth, um, we got some people that will rumble with you out back, <laughs> scripturally. Isaiah 40, among other places, Bible's pretty clear. Or you can hop in a rocket with Musk or one of the, who's the other cat cruising around. You can see who? Bezos, yeah. It's not what it's talking about here. It's talking about the four angels standing north, south, east, and west. And what are they doing? What does John see them doing? They were controlling earth's winds, not allowing them to blow. So if there's no wind, what would be the results of that on planet earth? Would it be good or bad? It'd be bad, wouldn't it? That would mean no rain. That would mean ecosystems would be damaged, extreme climate temperatures of cold and heat. I mean, again, that would mean no rain. And so what, there would be no hydro system going on, right? The, the sea, what happens in the sea? The, the water 
evaporates into the clouds, the wind blows the clouds to land, then it rains, right? And then what happens? The water flows back to this beautiful hydro system that God has created would be halted. No more waves also. And so, bummer for surfers, right? Listen, life would radically change, and not for the better, for the worse. And I think a couple of things in this one verse, just before we move on. Listen, God has given us the wind for our benefit and for our blessing. Amen? And so, he is an amazing designer, and one of his designs is wind and the, and the hydro system and how it works. And, 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 and the Lord always uses those things. When we look at creation, it should, it should speak to us. It should preach a sermon to us of God's care, of his creativity, of how he does things that are so awesome and magnificent. And so um, the wind is held off. And then look at verse two and three. John sees another angel that's arising from the east. And what does this angel have with him? A seal, God's seal, the seal of the living God. And he yells, the angel from the east, from the east side, he yells to the four other angels, Right? And he says, stop what you're doing. Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And so we learn something about these four angels. They're also involved not only in holding back the wind, but we're going to see in chapter 8, they are involved in bringing judgment on planet earth. You guys see that with me? So angels are at work most of the time behind the scenes and they work together. There's some kind of hierarchy structure, but they are working together to do God's will on planet Earth. And so the the angel from the east says, hang on, don't touch the planet until we. So there's more than one of these angels that put God's seal on on God's servants foreheads. By the way, that word servant or servants in verse three. Um, it's bond servant. And so we see like Paul used that, Paul and Timothy, bond servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're talking about people that are already saved and now they are being sealed by God for his service, for protection in ministry. In fact, in verse three through verse eight, we read 15 times they're sealed under the Lord. That's a lot, isn't it? God wants us to know they are sealed. And a seal, you guys remember in our Bible studies, a seal in ancient time meant ownership. It meant protection. Like if a king was to send a letter and it had to get there overnight, absolutely positively has to get there overnight. Some of you get that. I know it's lame. But what would, he, would, he would dictate information and the amanuensis, or the person would write it down, roll the scroll up, get some hot wax. He would take his signet ring, his royal ring, and put his signet on there. And it meant that you can't open this letter up. It has to get to its destination. Um, it was a seal of ownership, of protection. And that's the idea here. They are sealed until the Lord wants to call them home. God's going to protect them and take care of them through all that happens up until the point the Lord has, is done with their, or they're done with their ministry for Jesus. And I would say God has a seal. God seals his servants. And this is not unprecedented. If you're taking notes this morning, Ezekiel chapter 9. Ezekiel chapter 9. 
is another example of God's seal on his servants. Remember in Ezekiel, just the context real quick, um, judgment is coming upon Jerusalem, upon the southern kingdom from the Babylonians. You guys remember that? Nebuchadnezzar. And um, it's heavy. There's suffering, there's trials, there's tribulations they're going through. And the people, by and large, they were, just like the people we're reading about in Revelation, they're unwilling to let go of their sin. They're involved in sexual immorality and idolatry. And God has warned them over and over and over and over again. And now judgment is coming upon them. And God has a man with an inkhorn, an angel with an inkhorn, to mark those people that belong to the Lord. And it's interesting what it says about them. It says those that sigh and cry about, the, about what's going on in Jerusalem. In other words, their hearts are broken. As they're walking with the Lord, as they're serving the Lord, their hearts are broken over the condition um, of what's going on. And so God protected them from judgment. Remember uh, Cain? Cain had a seal on him. No one could take Cain's life. Right? You guys remember that? Until God wanted to take him out. And then it says in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, the Father set his seal upon the Son, Jesus Christ. Um, and we're sealed too, aren't we, as believers? Is that good news this morning? Yes. Ephesians 1, it says, speaking of Jesus, in him you also trusted. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. It feels pretty good to be sealed this morning, doesn't it? His mark of ownership, the Holy Spirit in our lives, right? And so these people, though, at this time are God's set-apart servants, supernaturally protected, much like, remember the, remember the children of Israel in Egypt during the plagues? You guys remember that? Did God protect them? He sure did. How about uh, Rahab and her family? Remember Rahab the prostitute and her family, right? They were protected from judgment. They had that scarlet thread sticking out the window that protected them from judgment. It was like a seal. We also see Noah and his family were preserved. Um, that's kind of the idea here. These 144,000 will be preserved for service to the Lord. And look at in verse 4 through 8. John hears something. He heard the number of those who were sealed, but he doesn't see them. He doesn't see them. He hears the number. And how many Jews were sealed, by the way? 144,000. I think God wants us to make sure we understand these are Jews. So what does he do? He lists the 12 tribes, 12,000 from each tribe of Israel. Please make no mistake. These are Jews who come to know Jesus. These are Jews for Jesus, if you will. They've come to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They serve the Lord. They're sealed by God. And I think, again, another reminder this morning, so beautiful. We see the gracious work of God amongst the Jewish people during the most difficult time in world history. God's special work. And listen, you and I, brother, sister, we should be eternally grateful to the Jews. They gave us the scriptures. 
They gave us the Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus is a Jew. Jesus was a Jew. And our relationship with the true and the living God, Paul tells us our relationship should provoke jealousy in Jewish people. Jealousy evangelism. They should look at our lives and say, wow, what are you tapped into? Look how you love and treat me as a Jewish person. Listen, as Christians, there is no place for anti-Semitism in our hearts and in our lives. If you are anti-Semitic, I would, um, I would encourage you right now to repent before God. Because God is not through with the Jew. He has a plan for them. And he wants to use us to reach them, to share with them. And so, listen, this is not the church. The 144,000 is not the church. The church has not replaced Israel. That is a false teaching. It's called replacement theology, saying the church has replaced Israel. That is not true. It is not true. We have not replaced Israel. The church and Israel are distinct. God has a plan. We talked about this last week, Daniel chapter 9. God has a plan for the nation of Israel. And part of that plan is 144,000 Jewish evangelists that would reach, we're going to see in just a moment, the second half of the chapter is more people getting saved. So during this people, God will use these Jewish evangelists in a special way to reach everybody around the globe. And uh, I would just, to point out here, um, there are many variations of this list we see in the Bible. 29, I think, 29 or 30 lists of the tribes. And um, there's many different variations of how they're listed. Some make a big deal about this list and say, well, where's Dan? How come Dan's not? And then they come up with all kinds of stuff about why Dan is missing and why, what about Ephraim and, and, and all of this. And what's the answer for that? I don't know. I don't know why there's many variations. Well, what about Dan? They were omitted here. Does that mean later in Ezekiel, in the millennial kingdom, they're in that list, the tribal list. So... Um, God knows who they are, doesn't he? In se- Listen, just a little side note. In 70 AD, remember what happened in 70 AD? The Romans wiped out Jerusalem, the temple. Do you guys remember that? Titus Vespasian wiped out the place. And with that wipeout of the temple mount, guess what else was wiped out? The genealogical records for all the Jews. So if someone comes to you today and says, I'm one of the 144,000, you ask them, what tribe are you from, bro? And then they say Zebulon, and you say, time out, liar, liar, pants on fire. The only tribe, the only tribe that we know, you can, you can still know what tribe you come from is the tribe of Levi. How do you know that? Because of their name. Le- Levine, uh, Levis, Kohen, because of the Kohathites. There, and in fact, how, why is that important? Because the temple's going to be rebuilt at some point. Unauthorized by God, the temple's going to be rebuilt, right? The Antichrist has to go into the rebuilt temple, correct? You guys with me still? I know some of you got blank stares, but hold on to it. That means if there's a temple, there has to be a priesthood and Levites. And so you, they, isn't that cool how God did it? And so God knows who they are, where they are. The tribes are not lost. He knows where they are and who they are. And um, we don't need modern forensics. We don't need Ancestry.com to try to figure it out. All that matters is that God knows. 
And if you're taking notes, I would encourage you to read this later. Revelation chapter 14, verses 1 through 5, we get further insight on this group. We get further information concerning them. And they are men, they are Israeli men, Jewish evangelists, whom God will use in a powerful way to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with a lost and dying world. And they are unable to be harmed until the hour comes, just like our Lord, until his hour came. And um, remember what Jesus said. He said, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. And what's so amazing now is, again, we should be grateful for Israel, but we should also keep our eyes on Israel, y'all, because history all revolves around Israel in God's eyes. 1948, Israel became a nation again. Miracle in a day, and Isaiah prophesied that, in a day after, in 70 AD, when the Romans came, it dispersed the Jews globally all over the place, and the land became a wasteland. It became nasty and gnarly, and then in 1948, God brought them back into the land. They became a nation in a day, and if you go over there today, the place is hopping. It's thriving. The problem is, I think it's 60, well, I don't know the percentage, but the majority of Israelis are atheists. Number one country in the world for atheism. Isn't that interesting to take note of? And isn't God so wise to have 144,000 to be ministering during this time? In fact, I think it helps us. Listen this morning. Let me, let me scratch a little deeper real quick. Matthew chapter 10 it might help us understand. It's kind of like a cryptic verse. Jesus sends out his disciples. How does he send them out? In packs of six? <laughs> two by two, right? Don't take anything with you. Trust God, right? Preach the gospel, heal the sick, and so forth. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus gives them these instructions. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of the instructions, it's almost like he telescopes out into the future, a long ways away and begins to say some things. In Matthew chapter 10, he said in verse 17, but beware of men for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in the synagogues and you will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, don't worry about what you should speak for it will be given to you in the hour what you should speak, for it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father who speaks in you. And then he talks about the, the coming persecution within family. Fam, brother will deliver up brother to death and father his child. Children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. This is very Jewish in flavor. But he who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in this city, check this out. When they persecute you in this city, flee to another, for assuredly I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. What does that mean? <laughs> that sounds really cool, Pastor. He's talking about these Jewish evangelists, those that come to know Jesus during the time of the tribulation, that will travel from one city to another within Israel, right? And he says, the Son of Man's coming, I'm coming, and you're going to be preaching the gospel, 
And you're going to need to be faithful to do that. And that's what we see with this group here as we flip back to Revelation chapter 7. They're faithful to preach the good news because look what happens in the next verse. Verse 9. After these things, after what things? What we just read. I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues. Where were they? Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then, check this out, don't miss this. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes? And where did they come from? Who are these people? And I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white, so interesting, made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat for the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. It's so awesome. So after these things, what does John see? Look look what it says to me back in uh, verse 9. So after the 144,000 Jewish believers sealed and their ministry begins on earth during the most difficult time in all of history... John looks and he says, check it out. An innumerable group of different people. And that word nations is, in the Greek is ethnos. It means ethnicities. All different people from different backgrounds, different tribes, different languages. All of them gathered together, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Where's that? It's not a trick question. Where is that? In heaven. All these different people groups standing around the throne. You know what this tells me? Heaven is going to be very diverse. Amen to that? Not everybody's going to be just like you. (laughs) Because sometimes we think that. I mean, some people think that. It's all going to be homogenized. We're all going to look, everybody's going to look like this person. No, no, no. It's all different. And it demonstrates God's creativity, doesn't it? That our God is a creative awesome God. That's why there's no place for racism, by the way. Racism is not just a skin issue, it's a sin issue. And just like anti-Semitism, if you're an anti-Semite or you're a racist, you need to repent this morning. There's no room for that. Sin against God, his creation, his creativity. So they're standing in this privileged place before the Father and the Son. What are they wearing? White. What is white robes all about? What does that represent? The righteousness of who? 
of Jesus Christ, the free gift. Wearing these robes, Isaiah talked about it in Isaiah. Isaiah said in chapter 61, verse 10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. And by the way, Isaiah's rejoicing greatly. That's before he even got to heaven. Are you still rejoicing in your robe of righteousness? That you stand rightly before God? Not because of anything you've done or I've done, because of what Jesus did for us. And we put our faith and trust in him. Our, is one robe better than another robe, by the way? Like, check out my threads. I'm, you got dollar store stuff. I got sacks. We all have the same robe this morning. Correct? And so they're wearing the white robes. And what do they have in their hands? Palm. Does that mean there's palm trees in heaven? I love palm trees. But remember, remember we see palm trees used? Remember Jesus came cruising in, right? We talked about this last week, the very day, back of a donkey, right? Cruising down the slope of the Mount of Olives, and the people were there singing Hosanna. Looks like we sang Hosanna. And they got out the palm fronds, right? And that's, man, that's a, that's a way to give applause to someone, applause to a king. It also, it also speaks of victory, again, rejoicing. That Sunday is called, what, what's that Sunday called when he comes in? Palm, the triumphal entry, Palm Sunday, right? Because of the palm fronds. And we see that the, this group has palm branches in their hands and they're crying out with a loud voice. Salvation belongs to our God and to who? And to the Lamb. They acknowledge they acknowledge and attribute that salvation is because of the Father and the Son. This is important because Jesus said, I and my Father are, I and my Father are one. You can't have one without the other. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whomsoever believes in him shall never perish, but have everlasting life. And so they acknowledge, and they acknowledge this by yelling it out loud. Salvation is because of you, Lord. It's all because of you. It means to be delivered. It means to be rescued. It means to be saved. Aren't you glad you're rescued and saved and delivered this morning? We've been, listen, we've been saved from hell. Amen. <laughs> we've been saved from hell and saved to heaven. We've been saved from an empty life of bondage and, and, and saved and rescued to a life of abundance of following the Lamb wherever He goes. That's glorious. He's washed away our sins, we read in just a moment, with His precious blood. We've been bought at a price. So heaven is a place, it's diverse. There's worship and praise. We acknowledge the One who has rescued us and saved us. They're doing it with a loud voice. And these are saved saints that come out of the tribulation. And again, I believe most likely, I don't think it's an accident, they're positioned this way in the chapter. Most likely, they were probably the fruit of the 144,000 Jewish evangelists. And I would say God is always faithful to provide a witness. Do you guys know that? He's always faithful to provide a witness. 
The 144,000 were God's witnesses on planet Earth during this time. Didn't the Lord do that in our lives too? Brought people into our lives, right? Faithful witnesses along the way. He wants to use our lives in the same way. And sometimes we think, Lord, there's no one out there, just me. Like, remember Elijah? You guys remember Elijah? He went on the run from who? Jezebel, one woman. <laughs> one angry woman. He went on the run. <laughs> After this major victory on Mount Carmel. He goes, and where does he hide? He hides in a cave. He, tra- he travels as far southbound as possible, goes, hides in a cave, and God speaks to him, not in the earth, wind, and fire, right? Still small voice. And he asked him a question. Elijah, what are you doing here? Did God not know? <laughs> was God like God knew remember what Elijah remember what Elijah said Lord they've killed all your prophets I'm they tore down your altars I'm the only one left and they're going to kill me next as I'm hiding here a thousand miles away and what did God say to him he said I've reserved 7,000 prophets for myself. You're not the only one out there. I put people all over the place because I love people and want to reach people. I want to rescue people just like I rescued you. And so in the midst of God's wrath and judgment, we find his mercy and his grace. Have we been called to share the gospel, by the way? Preach the gospel. Gospels for everyone. It's good news. Verse 11 So around the throne. So notice this. Worship is contagious. Do you guys see this? So they're all excited. Salvation. Oh, it's from the Lord. Hallelujah. And then all of a sudden, it just kicks off more worship. You guys notice that? Worship's contagious. At home, Tanya starts singing a song, and I kind of pick up the last part of the verse. Sometimes. You guys ever do that? Like your spouse is singing the song, and then all of a sudden, it's like, wait, were you singing that song a minute ago? Worship's contagious. Look what happens. Verse 11. And the angels, multitude of angels, stood around the throne, and the elders that represent the church, and the four living creatures, those angelic beings, all fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God. And we talked about this a few weeks ago that we're falling down and worshiping is, is, uh, the Greek is, uh, it it speaks, it's proskuneo, I think it is. And it, it's an ancient, it was an ancient way of people coming before their king to communicate that they love that king, they love that person. It's a demonstration of their affection, bowing down, kissing their ring. It meant you loved and respected that person is the idea. And so listen, we, for all eternity, we will be expressing our love and adoration for Jesus. We will be so grateful. But even now, even now, our worship is a reflection of our hearts. Is it not? And worship's not just coming in and singing some songs like a prelude to the Bible study or jamming in our car like a couple songs on whatever, whatever we listen to. Correct? Worship, it, worth-ship, it's ascribing worth. That's what worship is. I'm ascribing worth to something. We ascribe worth to our king in every area of life, don't we? When I trust him, I'm saying, Lord, you're worth my trust. You're worthy. When I take a step of faith, I step out in faith. Lord, you're worth it. You're worthy to come to church, to gather together with the saints, because you're worth it, Lord. To be obedient to his word, I'm saying, Lord, you're worth it to obey you. 
You're worthy of my, my trust and my obedience. You're worthy of my entire life. Worship should encompass all, everything we do. We're ascribing, amen? We're ascribing worth to the one that bought us with his precious blood. And, and notice what they're saying. Notice what it says here. They're continuing to worship. And they say, amen. What does amen mean? So be it. That's right. Blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Everyone in heaven recognizes God's worth. And uh, this sevenfold anthem of praise goes up to the Lord. And listen, do you guys rejoice in what God's doing on planet Earth? Or, or are we caught so much? Are we caught so much up in the gnarly stuff that's going on? You know, God is doing a work in this church. It's like amazing, and it's like you miss you miss it. We miss it so often because it's happening at street level. It's like God's doing an awesome work in many marriages, in many homes, in in our kids. It's been radical. It's beautiful. It's a work of His Spirit. Do you rejoice in that? By the way. His work in your marriage with your kids. So awesome. God is so good. Then one of the elders answered. So that one of these elders, one, one from the church, asks two questions concerning the new group of arrivals. Who are they and where are they from? What, what, you think he was asking to get information? I don't think so. I think he wants John to think this through. Because John's like, you know, <laughs> you know where they came from, who they are. Because the elder explains to John, look at that next verse 14. So he said to me, the elder explains, that these are people who get saved during the seven-year period known as the Great Tribulation. They become desperate enough, they're broken heavy tribulation, heavy pressure, they tap out, they surrender to Jesus. Their sins, their lives were cleansed by putting their trust in Jesus Christ. I love that. The blood of the Lamb. Isn't that beautiful? The lamb, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow. That makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What's greater than your sin this morning is the blood of Jesus. It washes us clean, makes us white in his sight. That's glorious. It's all because of his sacrifice. Jesus shed his blood, gave his life as the full, listen, as the full and satisfying payment for our sins. And only by putting your faith and trust in the blood of Jesus can you be forgiven and cleansed of your sins. And that's good news. He did it all. He just wants you and I to trust in him. And you will find yourself in this scene in heaven. Because look at, we get more insight on heaven. Look at what it says as we finish up. What's heaven like, man? We get a beautiful picture right here of what's in store for those who belong to Jesus. Look what it says in verse 15. This group, this special group, these tribulation saints, they are before the throne of God. That's beautiful in itself, isn't it? Access to God, intimacy with God. And it says, serve him day and night 
in his temple. So they serve the Lord round the clock. No need for sleep in heaven. Isn't that cool? Some of, you, some of you are saying, I can't wait to get to heaven to sleep. Laundry, the laundry keeps piling up. And my boss at work, I'm just done. I need a rest. You won't, because we're going to have new bodies. No amens for that either. <laughs> new, glorified bodies fitted for all eternity. No sagging. No nips, tucks needed. Okay, is that getting any better? For, okay. You can eat all you want, not gain a pound. But listen, heaven's not going to be boring. It's going to be action-packed, joyful service for the Lord. Listen, right now, it is a miracle to serve God. It is a privilege. It is an honor and privilege for you and I to serve Jesus. Who are we? Who are we to deserve this opportunity to share in his ministry on planet Earth? It's all by his grace. He's so gracious. Can I ask you a question this morning? Do you still enjoy serving Jesus? Do you, listen, do you serve Jesus? Do you enjoy worship? Do you enjoy worshiping him? Because listen, we are never closer to heaven than when we are serving and worshiping him. And not only that, check it out, especially with people who are different than you. Notice all the people there, all different backgrounds, people groups, tribes, all different flavors, right? And they're what? They're worshiping and serving, and there's joy, and it's awesome. Listen, can I just remind us that it shouldn't start in heaven. It should be happening right now. Are you with me? I, I, that's why I love our church. So diverse, so beautiful. We serve Jesus. We worship him. And can I encourage some of us, get along, because we're going to be together for all eternity. <laughs> they will no longer suffer from starvation or lack of fluids. Remember, this is a gnarly time on planet Earth for the tribulation saints. Um, many will be martyred, not taking, refusing to take the mark of the beast, which we'll talk about later. Um, they will not suffer any more physical affliction from the elements. Again, it's, there's going to be a lot of gnarly stuff happening on planet Earth at this time. Um, but I think it's important to point out, um, all suffering ends in heaven. We will be free from trials, from hardship, from difficulty. Heaven is a place of comfort. Verse 17, Jesus who sits at the middle of it all, what's he going to do? He's going to shepherd those who belong to him. I don't know about you, that's for me, that's like amazing. Because why? Jesus will continue to be our shepherd, our good shepherd, all the way, even in heaven. Is anybody grateful for his shepherding care? Amen. Jesus will lead his people to this special place of refreshment, Heaven is a place of continual refreshment, this living fountains of waters. And then, how about this? But wait, there's more. All tears will be wiped away by God himself. What does that even feel like? God's finger touching your tear and wiping away your tear. He probably doesn't get like a hanky and <laughs> toughen up, you know, tender. <coughs> The be- it's got to be the best feeling ever. Well, what about these tears? What's it talking Every tear, what's going on? 
Listen, number one, there will be no sin in heaven, the very thing that causes our tears and suffering. Correct? So what's with the tears? What is with the tears? Do you know, Pastor? I got no clue. Aren't you supposed to know this stuff? No, I don't know at all. Very little. But here's what I do know. You guys ever weep? You guys ever shed a tear? Recognizing God's goodness? It's like, oh God, thank you. I'm holding a baby, brand new, brand new baby born. Seeing your bride for the first time coming up the aisle. Oh, God, thank you. God coming through with a job, with something you needed all of a sudden. Oh, Lord, you're so good. Oh, God, you answered that prayer. There was no way you made it happen. There was more month than money. God, you made it happen. Does that bring a tear? Does that anybody over his goodness? Or you open your Bible and all of a sudden you know the, the, the words leap off the page and grip your heart and he meets you right there. So good. I think for all eternity we're going to be blown away with his goodness. And there's going to be times when he touches our face and wipes away that tear. I shared last week about seeing my son run and hearing his voice in heaven. I mean, that's gonna, I, that will be, I'll be tearing up, I believe. And I'm going to feel that hand of God wipe away those tears, and I can't wait. Can't wait to see we finally make it in heaven. You made it, bro. Dude, you did it. Way to go. Thank you, Lord. For all eternity, being blown away by his grace together as his kids. Amen. In Jesus' name.